This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, my flex learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. I'm Jethro Jones coming to you from Washington. I'm host of the podcast, Transformative Principal and author of the book, School X, How to Redesign Your School for the People Right in Front of You. I'm a former principal at all levels of K-12 education. I'm host of the podcast, Transformative Principal. Greetings, everyone. I'm Richard Glenn. I'm author, attorney, and educational consultant based in Brooklyn, New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently, Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. For more information or to donate to our work, please visit centerforcyberethics.org. The Cybertraps podcast is a production of the Center for Cyber Ethics, which is an independent, nonpartisan educational institute and government-approved 501c3 dedicated to the study and promotion of cyber ethics as a positive social force through research, curricula development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy. Greetings there, Jethro. Happy Monday, Fred. So good to see you. Yes, you too. Um, I'm excited to talk to you, as I always am, and today we're going to talk about a little touchy subject, which is uh, social media and student activism, and this is uh, a a potentially wide-ranging topic where we could talk about anything under the sun, um, but why don't you start us out by telling us how you would like to define activism, to make sure, one, we're on the same page, <laughs> And two, right. to make sure we know what we're talking about when we say this. No, absolutely. And I, I think that when I use the term activism, what I am talking about are activities that students engage in that are squarely within the scope of the First Amendment. And so what we're really referring to is student speech, 
We're referring to the use of social media to advocate for different positions. Uh, we're looking at you know, the production of arts or other kinds of uh, socially motivated works to help persuade people to do things. Um, I think one of the things that, that drew my attention to this is that much of what students go through in school is, is on the passive side. They're receiving information. And I think one of the things that we're seeing more and more of is students wanting to take that information or to take the opinions that they have and try to do something with it. And obviously this is not completely new. You can go back to uh, certainly the 60s. There was a lot of activism on all sides of the political spectrum. Uh, probably the most famous case involved the uh, Tinker Independent School District, which is where the current standard for student speech comes from, because students wanted to wear black armbands to protest the Vietnam War. But certainly there were people, you know, protesting communism, uh, you know, from the more on the right side of things. Um, my parents claimed that there was, you know, activism on, uh, you know, fiscal policy, which is almost unimaginable. Oh, <laughs> uh, what? It's like, okay, sure, mom and dad. Yeah, everything was so much smarter back then. Yeah. <laughs> but be that as it may, um, what we do see, and I think that this is really the thrust of our conversation today, Jethro, is that the, the combination of smartphones and social media makes it so much easier for any student to put out something advocating for a particular point of view. And there's this potential, given the way social media works, for it to become a much bigger deal than in pre-social media times. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I think that we need to discuss is, for starters, <laughs> the challenges that pose for people in your position, right? Principals, uh, superintendents, things like that. But then also, how do we convey a sense of responsibility to the students because they have so much more power now mm -hmm. than they used to have? Yeah, absolutely. I think a couple things that I would add to that. Um, number one, it, it's activism because you're typically trying to change a dominant narrative, right? Or trying to go against a dominant narrative. So, you know, right now, the dominant narrative is all about COVID and about voting rights and about um, all climate. kinds of uh, <laughs> climate, all kinds of stuff. And so sure. activism, we want to be clear, can happen on both sides, that those for and against can be activists, those on mm -hmm. left leaning or right leaning, it doesn't really matter. Uh, what The story that we're going to talk about today is more of a uh, left leaning uh, type of situation where the student is active being an activist in that regard but the reality is is that when it uh, i like the way you framed it as a first amendment issue because freedom of speech is protected right and and it needs to be <laughs> and well that honestly jethro that's precisely why i framed it the way i did because when it comes to these kinds of issues on the part of students as frustrating as it can be, regardless of what your position is. Right. Look, as a former school board member, it, <laughs> I, we definitely had issues with some of the activism that people engaged in. And again, as you say, across the spectrum. But I'm 
relatively close to being a First Amendment absolutist when it comes to political speech, Mm -hmm. because I think that is so central to how our society should function. And I think everybody should feel like they have the ability to have their voice heard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is vitally important. And so let's get into the story uh, today uh, about a high school student who was censored by his school publication. Now, yeah, and I, I this think is the just fascinating. Thing, it really is. And and I, I flagged this not so much because of the subject matter, but honestly, Jethro, because of the dynamic between this student and the principal, mm-hmm. because I actually thought this was really more up your alley. In yeah. some ways. So let's unpack it a little bit. Um, so uh, this hails from upstate New York. So this is relatively local to me. Um, and, and this is a situation we could imagine happening in high schools across the country for one reason or another. But in this particular case, we're dealing with a student who was invited by his school newspaper to be one of the two seniors profiled in January. So they pick two seniors every month, and then they send them a list of questions. And one of the questions is, what was your biggest challenge and how did you overcome it? And this particular individual is a student named Tyler Johnson who happens to be gay. And he talked about the fact that coming out was a huge challenge for him and learning to navigate the bullying that goes along with being you know, identified as gay and so forth. And so that answer got submitted for review to the principal. Now, we can put a pin in that for a second. Yeah, we'll, we'll come <laughs> back to pretty, that. We'll come back to that. But when the principal read the, you know, read the answer, he called Johnson into the office and said, we want you to change your answer. And interestingly, Jethro, it wasn't because this particular principal was anti-gay or homophobic or what have you. It's simply that the school had a policy in place that said that none of the articles in the school newspaper should advocate for any particular lifestyle, pro or con. So the school was attempting to have a publication that was content neutral on some of these very challenging topics. And Johnson replied, well, if you're not going to publish my answer as I wrote it, then I don't want to be profiled and left. Now, prior to social media, that probably would have been the end of it. I mean, yeah, it's this is not something I see the ACLU taking up as a, a major cause. But students don't need the ACLU anymore, do they? Right. Because what he did was he went to his he went to his bedroom, sat down, and used TikTok to talk about the situation. He was actually relatively respectful. I, you know, he didn't make any outrageous claims or use foul language or anything like that, but he laid out his version of what took place mm-hmm. and expressed his dissatisfaction with how the school handled it. And as you might guess, given some of the issues we've talked about, about how, you know, for instance, TikTok in particular, but social media deals with this, it went viral. And so now it became not just a TikTok video, but it becomes a news article as well. Yeah. And so the superintendent got involved. 
overrode the principal, which I'm sure it made the principal's day. Again, <laughs> you can you can talk he, about that. You probably could have <laughs> seen it coming, though, to be honest. <laughs> well, right. What part of the freight train don't you yeah. see? <laughs> and so, you know, everything reverted back to normal. And, you know, basically they... Uh, the school issued an apology and announced that they would be reviewing how they handle these situations and blah, blah, blah. So there's so many pieces of this, but go ahead. You pick yours. Yeah. So <laughs> I want to bring up another story, which is yeah. a uh, a school in Kansas, I think. I, I got to check my notes to make sure. But the school newspaper ran um, basically a hit piece on the principal that the school district had just hired to be the principal of their school and found out she had basically made up her credentials. And, and so because of that, here's the best part. The superintendent said, well, then she shouldn't work here anymore. And thank you students for doing a better job than we did. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That's, I mean, it's nuts. I mean, the, again, (laughs) you know, you, you, as an adult, as a school administrator or a school board member, you're just banging your head on the desk, right? Because these guys are creating huge problems for you. But at the same time, in a way, they've learned really the lesson of journalism. Right. To a T. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe, you know, maybe it's not such a bad thing. Look, I, I think there, the issues that, that we were flagging as we, as we talked about this, I mean, number one, um, as the principal, right? So let me throw this into your court and say, you've got this policy that says that the school newspaper should not be taking stands on these difficult issues. So that's kind of a, you know, in the First Amendment world, that's referred to as prior restraint. And it's something that the government can't do for adults. Like, you know, there's, the only thing it shows up in is in national security, for instance. If if you're, you know, uh, an agent or you're, frankly, if you're chief of staff, you can't publish a book without having the security apparatus yeah. review it to make sure you're not turning, you know, releasing secrets. But Which Mark Zaid, who's been on the podcast, is in the middle of right now. Oh, my God. He's he's constantly in the middle yeah, of it. That's true. <laughs> No, he's and we're going to have to get Mark back on when we have a when we have an opportunity to do so. But the other thing is that you know students don't have that full range of constitutional rights because of the in loco parentis role of the schools, mm-hmm. and there's always this tension between that quote unquote parental role and the students' freedoms. So, from your perspective, how aggressive should a school be? in trying to enforce a policy that was well-intended. Yeah, and and this is the real challenge because in this situation, the newspaper is not taking a stand. They're simply interviewing one of the students that that Tyler said in his video, the principal thinks is one of the great students in the school. So that, you know, that's the challenge here is, is the newspaper taking a stand or is simply publishing that a student struggled with coming out and the bullying that went along with it in your school, is that taking a stand? I would say that it's not personally. And I would say that if, if a student felt that way in our school, I would have called the student and said, what are you talking about? Why didn't we know about the bullying you experienced? 
because our responsibility to you is to make sure you feel safe here and feel like you can come to us when these things happen. That's the conversation that I would have had with Tyler rather than you have to take this part out because the, the, that's a great answer. Yeah. The, the real thing is as the editor, you can make the decision to cut things out for brevity and newspapers do it all the time. So, (laughs) so you can just do that and none would be the wiser. And what are they going to do? You know, he could still make the TikTok video, but the thing is, is, it, instead of instead of dealing with it in a way that I think is more appropriate, healthy, and functional, he dealt with it in a way that basically said, you have to hide part of who you say you are that is very important to you, which just isn't going, it's not going to go over well, no matter what that part is that you're asking them to hide is. That's that's very well said, Jethro. And, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, Anyone who has ever written for any publication knows that their brilliant words don't always make it. That's right. The... <laughs> yeah. Oh, we need a so, fourth of an inch off the bottom. There we oops. go. That was a great place to end your article. Thank you. <laughs> God, yes. Happens all the time. Drives me nuts. So anyway, the the issue there then, you know, partly is you can almost treat it as a, you know, a confession by the principle that, you know, this is the thing we don't like and we're, we're going to prevent you from publishing it. So that's one problem. Another issue is, you know, kind of the workplace dynamics between a superintendent and a principal. Now, we obviously worked with the superintendent when I was on the school board and the lines of delineation were very clear. We were strongly discouraged <laughs> from talking directly to any principals. Yeah. You know, because it's really seen as the superintendent's job to deal with this stuff. Would you say, just from our brief discussion here, that the superintendent handled that well? Or should he have done more to try to stick up for the principal? Uh, no. Yeah. That, okay. that would be a losing battle. And it's because... You, the the challenge here is that the the student Tyler can say anything he wants whenever he wants. The school district cannot say a single thing about it because they have to protect the student's privacy, and they are going to err on the side of not talking about any student related issues as much as they can. So there is nothing that they can say or do to to save their own face or explain it any better because Mm -hmm. they will never make a statement about that situation because they don't as, as a rule, you don't make comments about those things. And so their hands are completely tied in divulging anything about the conversation that they had with the young man, about their feelings about it, about what was actually said. That's just not going to happen unless it becomes a court case and they're required to by law. That's the point when they'll say something. So the superintendent can't really defend his principal and say, you know, the, this is how it it all played out. He can't explain all of that because those are all private internal things that the school district is bound to not divulge any information about. And really, I believe that is for the safety and protection of the student. And so even if the student totally misrepresented everything, which does happen, believe it or not. <laughs> no, you can't possibly be. <laughs> Even if the student totally misrepresents everything, the school district's yeah. not going to say mum about it. 
And so right. this, the what the superintendent did was saying the original answer should be published and talking about other initiatives to support students who are struggling with LGBTQ plus issues. I think that was pretty much the only thing that he could have done to, to put this situation to bed and to move on, right? I, I agree with you. I think that's, that's a, another good analysis. It does raise this issue. This is where we start getting into some of the kind of broader social or policy pieces that what social media has done, you know, particularly for people who are in the position you were in, is create what is basically asymmetric warfare. That's right. And you know, maybe that's that's a grandiose term, but but we're in a situation now where students have this very powerful megaphone to reach the world. And oftentimes they feel like they're free to talk about things that the school can't, as you just said. So what do we do in that situation? How do we balance the scales to make sure that this remarkable power isn't being misused? Well, it's going to be misused. <laughs> and you should expect it to be misused because that's that's what social media does is it gives platforms to people that otherwise wouldn't have them. And and you and I, I think, can agree that that is a worthwhile thing and it's OK for that to happen because mm-hmm. it gives voice to the voiceless. And and you and I both believe that that's important. Now, absolutely. Those yes. voices are going to be against what you and I believe sometimes, and we also have to be okay with that. And mm-hmm. and this is where the real challenge comes in because it on, on all these issues, you know, the story was about a gay student, but now we're talking about everything. And so yeah, as right. as you're right. listening, think about the thing that offends you the most and see how well you can tolerate it because that I think is where the real power is. What is the thing that bothers you the most? And should somebody be allowed to have speech and thoughts relating to that? And that's really what it comes down to. And if you wholeheartedly disagree with what other people believe, but you support their right to be able to say it and believe it, that's a really difficult place to be because you have to admit that it's okay for them to be right in their eyes and you'd be wrong in their eyes even when you completely abhor what it is that they're thinking and talking about. I completely agree with all of that. And I think it's really, really well said. I'm trying to dig up the, um, there's a um, wonderful speech at the end of The American President, which was written by Aaron Sorkin. And what you just said sounds an awful lot like that it was really well thank you aaron and i we go way back (laughs) i'm sure you do so i i actually was able to dig up the transcript and and real quickly you know it's it goes on for a while um but he basically says america isn't easy america is advanced citizenship you've got to want it bad because it's going to put up a fight it's going to say you want free speech let's see you acknowledge a man whose words make your blood boil who's standing center stage and advocating at the top of his lungs that which you would spend a lifetime opposing at the top of yours. Just, uh, yeah, this is exactly what we're talking about. And that was back when I thought Aaron Sorkin actually was doing some decent writing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Just to Aaron, be clear. <laughs> that's that's slipped somewhat. But and in, in any case, I do, I do recommend the movie because it's a lot of fun. But, you know, this gets to the issue of... Um, you know, the asymmetric piece of this, 
gets really squarely to the question of responsibility on the part of the students because they need to be taught whether, well, first by parents, we've talked a lot about that, yeah, for but sure. then with the augmentation of the schools, they need to be taught the concepts of responsibility of, you know, appreciation for the harm that they can cause, because I think that's one of the, one of the missing pieces here. And again, we're not in any way talking specifically about Tyler Johnson, because I don't really think he stepped over those kinds of lines, but plenty of kids do either you know vis-a-vis their own classmates or far too often student i mean teachers yeah you know that they they say things about teachers that are unconscionable yeah and and this is where you mentioned that tyler did a good job in his tiktok video of explaining in a in a clear rational appropriate way what went on so the fact that he was not um that he was not tearing up that he wasn't so angry he was just spitting it, it made what he said more believable right and that is a guess, right. that, that is a rhetorical strategy that kids should certainly be taught and explained if you are just yelling and dropping curse words every other word in a diatribe against someone you're going to be taken less seriously because you look like you are out of control and don't have any control of yourself and you're not approaching it rationally I think yes. that those well, kinds of well things, said. yeah, those kinds of things we need to teach students clearly that when you disagree, I mean, so here's the thing. When I was a principal, I had students who, who had all these issues and would bring them to me. And I would say, that's great that you think that. What, what can we do differently? And they would say, well, you just have to stop doing X, Y, or Z. And it's like, <laughs> that's great, but I can't actually do that. So the reason why I'm doing these things is because I'm following the policy. So if you want to change the policy, here's how you go about doing it. And there are ways to make change happen um, that are in line with how we currently do it. And there are ways to make change happen that are not in line with how we currently do it. So, for example, a, a group of students that were the student council representatives from our whole entire district would meet regularly. And I was the administrator assigned to work with them. And my mm-hmm. assistant superintendent told me, these kids need to know that the way they make change is by coming to the boring committee meetings that the adults run and create and <laughs> sitting through those and giving their yes. opinion there. And I, I said, that's ridiculous. No kid wants to come to this boring meeting when they can be doing something else. But the only way for them to have a voice was to have a voice in the way the school district set aside. Now, she was not happy that we were talking about things that were, for example, a a dance that the kids wanted to have that was multi-high school. And uh, she said, the way you do that is you come to these committee meetings and you you talk about it there. Mm -hmm. And I said, the way you do it is you organize a dance um, and you rent out a space and you invite kids from whatever school want to come. But... That was me going against the district because that's not how we do things in the district, right? But I didn't I didn't right. say that as a representative of the district. I said it to myself, just to be clear. I didn't plant the idea in the kid's mind. But I was like, these kids are never going to make any change because the only way the district will accept change is in this prescripted, boring, totally slow. By the time they make a decision, the kids will be out of high school and it won't matter. 
<laughs> and that, well, that's by design, be... right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and uh, my brain is just the way it works. But honestly, I think you just described the plot to Footless. <laughs> so. I could have had some inspiration. <laughs> it could well be. And actually, there's a wonderful, a wonderful scene, obviously, speaking of activism, where Kevin Bacon, who looks insanely young in that movie, um, goes to the city council, the boring city council, and, and persuade, well, actually doesn't persuade them to change their policy but then the kids do basically what you're saying right they organize it themselves across the town line and and go for it i think that's all well and good and and i think that that is is absolutely the kind of initiative that we're hoping kids will develop and will show but the trade-off constantly needs to be um with the sense of values that allow this to be done in a rational and respectful way. And I, I think one of the things that's been really disturbing about social media is the way that it fuels the worst impulses, yeah. you know, of people online, adults and children, and, and not just adults and children, but people up and down the spectrum as well. And I think that there's a real need for us as parents to step back and assess the extent to which social media is raising our children Mm -hmm. because that's, that's one of the things I think this is purely editorial content at this point, but I think parents have ceded too much of their parenting responsibility to the tech giants and to the services they've created without really thinking through what the implications are. Yeah. This is definitely a huge issue that if you are coming up in the almost the end of the show <laughs> yeah. if if you are if you are ceding that control over to somebody else no matter who it is whether it's your church the government the tech giants if you are ceding control of raising your kids over to somebody else that is a failure on your part as a parent period end of story it is your responsibility to raise your kids churches schools governments technology they all support you in that and or they should yeah or they should and and you have control as a parent over how much that that support is coming and where it's coming from and Mm -hmm. this is so so important and it has to be one of the fundamental things that we emphasize in our in our country and in our world because the the missed opportunity there is huge the, the family is definitely an essential core element of society, and we have to continue supporting that and advocating for that to be where the things we learn come from, because that is the best way, because you are with them the most, you are with them the longest, and if you're ceding that to anybody else, nobody else has your child's best interest at heart, no matter what they say, even schools. It's, it's an interesting thing. We'll have to develop a couple of show topics around this one, Jethro, because um, it, this is actually one of the things that, you know, again, getting back to this free speech issue that I talked about in Obscene Profits way back when was, you know, people really want to push for stricter laws on sexual content. And it the argument I was making back then, and it, it has, I think, flowed nicely into what we're talking about here is that we should not expect the government to make those kinds of choices for every single family because 
every single family is going to answer that question a little bit differently. And so it really should be a family level decision. Now, I do agree that there should be better tools in place to help families mediate access to content that is upsetting or disturbing, but there's a delicate balance there between supporting families and creating a blanket rule for the entire country. So well, we can talk about that. And one of the reasons I think we'll have a chance to talk about it actually is that Texas just proposed a new law that would strip away teaching licenses from any teacher who quote unquote provides obscene materials to students. Now, to be honest with you, I, I can't think of a case where a teacher has done that unless they were soliciting grooming something much more nefarious. But in terms of classroom content, it, that's a ridiculous thing. And we'll, we'll, we'll give it a fair hearing, but I'd be curious to see what their, what their actual evidence is for the need for that law. But that gets back to this idea of clearly, you know, Governor Abbott down in Texas thinks that this is necessary to help support parents because it's part of a parental rights bill that he's advocating mm -hmm. for. So I, I think there'll be some interesting topics to discuss there. But maybe the biggest shout out needs to be to social media. How can social media support families while still giving kids this, this ability to get their voices heard? Yeah. I mean, I wish I had the answer to that. We should, oh, we all do. <laughs> we should think this about that. This is what we do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that would be really powerful if that were the case, because it would, it, it would change the dynamic between yeah. what I what I believe a lot of parents feel that social like media in general is trying to pull their kids away from them and we yes. we want to to push the kids back to their parents and you know I'm I'm fine I'm fine with every parent being able to decide what they believe and what they teach their children I am not fine with social media or the government or anybody else being in charge of that does that make sense? <laughs> it does make sense. It's it it as a statement it makes sense. The the challenge is that putting the government aside, which is a whole different kettle of fish, social media or big tech has created social media and they through terms of service, algorithms, indifference, you know, maliciousness, who knows? They, they allow things to happen on those platforms that they say they simply can't police. And I think that that's going to be the piece that will be looked at, yeah. which is to say, if you're, if you're able to create this service, you can't use the size of the service as an excuse for performing a socially necessary role, which is precisely what we're talking about, helping parents out and protecting children. Yeah, absolutely. So that's that's we absolutely I mean, there's definitely some proposals kicking around Congress that we'll talk about at some point to rein in big tech in hopefully First Amendment friendly ways, which is always the challenge. Yeah. But something really does need to be done, because when you look at the manifestations of social media and what it's done to society, it's critical we do something, you know, regardless of where you are in the political spectrum. Nobody can look at this and say, hey, 
this is great. This is yeah. what we would have designed. <laughs> yeah. So anyhow, Jethro, let's close with one little piece of news because we're going to have a lot of stuff spinning out of this, which is that in September, it looks like I'll have a chance to work with Awo Amenya, one of our early guests, and Child Online Africa, uh, doing some programs in Ghana. That's awesome. That's so exciting. Well, it is super exciting because already I'm anticipating that we will do four remote shows from there. Yep. Uh, we'll try to figure out if if donations, folks, bring them on. Yeah. Um, that if we're able to buy you a ticket, have you come over for a week and do oh, some man. guest lecturing. So we'll we'll sort all of that out. But I want people to look forward to another conversation with Owl on the podcast talking about the work they're doing. Uh, for those of you who are interested, if you're online, February 8th is Child Safety Online Day in Africa. And there's a ton of great material that they put out on, particularly on Twitter. Uh, so I'd encourage people to take a look at that. And a quick shout out to the United States State Department's Fulbright program, which is making all of this possible. Yeah, very cool. Well, I'm very excited about that. I think it's going to be amazing. I can't wait for it to come to pass. And um, the cool thing is, is that there are so many of these things that we're talking about that we are years into in the United States. Several parts of Africa and Ghana specifically are just starting this kind of exposure that they haven't had before. That's, yeah. And, and yeah. it's, it's an amazing opportunity for you to get in there early and provide some guidance about how to deal with these things in a smart way from the very beginning. Well, I think the collaboration will be amazing and hopefully both the podcast and the center for cyber ethics will develop some good relationships that will help carry our work forward. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, very, very cool stuff. So that's all to look forward to. Um, anything else on our uh, student activ activism free speech rant today? <laughs> Man, I, I think we had some good stuff to say, and I, I just appreciate the conversation. All right. That sounds terrific. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends around the world in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to our growing collection of international experts for helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all of your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you'll share the show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have questions, topic, or guest suggestions. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. And if you're still listening, you must have loved this podcast. If so, please leave us a five-star rating and review. We appreciate having you with us today and look forward to having you join us on Thursday for our part two interview with Glenn Lipson. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time 
without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com B-E.